We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. Hear all about the fight in the danger zone. Amazing stories, incredible music, terrible singing about military history. I'm Paul. Sit back and relax if you can. If you're driving, don't even think of changing stations. You know how dangerous it is to take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. On 20 December 1943, so close to Christmas, two men met and in mid-air in two different aircrafts about 300 metres above the ground. One was German by the name of Oberleutnant Fritz Stiegler, fighter ace, flying a German ME-109G fighter for Hitler's Third Reich. And the other was an American second lieutenant, Charles Charlie Brown, flying an American B-17 four-engine bomber. Well, just enough of it left, so you could call it a B-17 bomber, with only one engine still working and most of the crew severely wounded or dead. Charlie Brown's plane was a sitting duck, and with this German fighter next to him, there was nothing that he could do to save himself or his crew from being blasted out of the sky. What happened next was unbelievable. On 21 August 1915, with the Great War into its second year, a second son was born to Mr. and Mrs. Zeigler. Baby Francis' father was away at the war. He was a reconnaissance pilot. And he would become the idol, the man that young Franz most wanted to be like. Young Franz started to learn to fly a glider when he was about 12. His grade 5 teacher, who'd been a pilot in the Great War, had opened up a glider school for young people with gliders that he'd built himself. Franz's father watched his son's first flight. Just after he'd taken off, the glider pitched violently. Its nose pointed to the heavens and at first rocketed upwards into the sky. Then it plummeted with a horrific crash back to earth. The flying instructor had forgotten to add weight into the glider to counterbalance the light weight of this very young boy pilot. The crash didn't put Franz off flying, and it wasn't going to be the last air crash that he was involved in. Franz ended up as an airline pilot for Lufthansa. He clocked up 2,000 flying hours, which soon made him very important because now... Germany was in need of young men with this sort of flying experience. Adolf Hitler was in power, and Germany was on the march. Hitler was wanting to build a mighty air force for Germany, the Luftwaffe, and there weren't many men with as much flying experience as Franz. Franz was taken out of flying passenger airliners and put into training pilots for the Luftwaffe. Franz began as a civilian instructor, training Air Force types who didn't respect a civilian, so he joined the ranks of the Luftwaffe. Two notable people that Franz trained were his brother, Auguste, who wanted to be a bomber pilot, and a hopeless recruit by the name of Gerhard Barkhorn. Of this pilot, Franz said, 
He could barely fly the plane. I almost failed him. Buckhorn went on to be the second greatest fighter ace of all time, with a staggering 301 kills to his credit. The top American fighter ace of World War II, Richard Bong, had only 40 planes to his score. In October 1940, during the air raids over England, France's brother, Auguste, crashed on takeoff. He died. Franz was angry, and now he wanted to get into the fight himself. He was trained as a fighter pilot. His first assignment as a fighter pilot was to fly the latest model Messerschmitt, the ME-109F, in North Africa in the spring of 1942, the hideous days of success for the Africa Corps. The ME-109F would always remain his favourite version of this legendary fighter. Some Germans found the heat in North Africa too much. They were sent to Russia. I think that the different kind of heat in Russia made that a poor life choice. In Africa, Franz joined Jagdgeschwader 27. His commander was Lieutenant Gustav Rodel. Before Franz flew his first mission, Rodel quizzed him on things that were important to him and that he wanted his pilots to understand. Let what I'm about to say to you act as a warning. Honour is everything here, Rodel said. Every single time you go up, you'll be outnumbered, Rodel said. Rodel asked Franz a question, one that he had never thought about. And what will you do, for instance, if you find your enemy floating in a parachute? I guess I've never thought that far ahead, Stigler said. If I ever see or hear of you shooting at a man in a parachute, I will shoot you down myself. You follow the rules of war for you, not for your enemy. You fight by rules to keep your humanity, Rodel said. Franz's first combat mission was a disaster. His flight encountered some British P-40 fighters. Franz abandoned the plane he was flying as wingman for and flew back to base. His wise commander, Rodel, ironically congratulated Franz on surviving his first mission. On 31 May 1942, Franz scored his first kill, an RAF P-40. He climbed out of his plane with a broad grin on his face and was immediately pulled down a peg or two by Rodel. Shooting down a plane is nothing to celebrate. We lost three men today. Rodel said. By the end of July 1942, Franz had shot down five British fighters and had become an ace. Rodel always refused to put kill marks on the tail of his fighter, and Franz followed his example. It was only when German propaganda photographers wanted material to promote how well the war in North Africa was going that all of the pilots of Jagdgeschwader 27 were ordered to have their kills painted onto their planes. In one interview, Franz was asked what he did for a hobby when he was serving in Africa. Play with girls. Some things never change in war. 
By April 1943, France had shot down 17 planes. Life in Hitler's Third Reich was dangerous. After North Africa, Franz was based for a while in Sicily. There he was interviewed by the Gestapo over his Catholic faith. Members of the Catholic Church had become involved with the resistance movement against Hitler, and the Nazis were anxious to try to weed out any threats. In August 1943, Franz was transferred back to Germany to fly with the Daylight Fighters defending Germany against American B-17 bomber raids that were becoming more and more severe and more and more frequent. By the war's end, Franz had flown 487 combat missions. He was wounded four times, with bullets to each leg and one bullet to his head. The wound to his head came from the tail gunner on a B-17 bomber. The bullet went through about five centimetres of armour plating and hit Franz in the head with just enough power to break the bone, but not to penetrate his skull, which would have killed him. Stigler was shot down for the first time in June 1942. By the end of the war, he had technically been shot down a total of 17 times. Six times he was forced to bail out of his plane. The other times, although his plane was so damaged that it could not continue in combat, he still managed to land. Having to bail out of your plane six times when it's crashing lets you join the exclusive Caterpillar Club. It's a real thing. Franz was made a member. Franz says that the Luftwaffe pilots weren't trained in the use of their parachutes. You only used them when the need arose, bailing out of your plane before it crashed. Franz said he never got used to bailing out of crashing planes, not a thing he ever got to enjoy. In his last crash, he was forced to bail out flying over Germany. He knew approximately how high he was from the altimeter in his plane. He was falling through cloud and couldn't see the ground below and decided to wait before opening his parachute. What he didn't know was that he was then over a mountain. His landing was a bit brutal, sudden and unexpected. After a few seconds on the ground, a young German girl arrived with a rifle which she pointed at him. Hands up, she said, and then obviously disappointed, she said, oh, you're German. She took him with her down to a hut nearby. About eight young women and a sergeant were based there. When Franz entered, the women descended on him, their eyes firmly fixed on his parachute. It was pure silk, something you didn't see in Germany anymore. Wonderful for making dresses and silk stockings. From the throng and babble of the girls, one voice called out above the din, Franz! It turned out to be an old school friend. While Franz was waiting for a lift to rejoin his unit, his friend said to him, You're not going to take the parachute, are you? Franz said, I am required to. With irresistible logic, his friend said, Oh, for heaven's sake! You lost the airplane, might as well lose the parachute too. And so he left his parachute with the girls when his ride came. Just seven years after Franz had been born, Charles L. Brown was born on 15 April 1922 in western West Virginia. 
Brown, throughout his life, always referred to himself as a farm boy from West Virginia. And now, in December 1943, the farm boy from West Virginia was in England. He'd been trained as a B-17 pilot and assigned to the 379th Bombardment Group. He was just 21 years of age. When he first met his crew, he lied about his age and pretended he was a whole lot older, 25. In the Ken Burns TV documentary series The War, one person tells the story of a similar young man in command of and flying a B-17 on perilous bombing missions over occupied Europe. When he returned home on leave, his family was so happy to see him. When he asked his father if he could drive the family car, I mean, a young kid getting behind the wheel of your family car? No way. Anyway, now it was 9.40am on 20 December 1943, and Charlie taxied his bomber, ye old pub, ready for takeoff from his base in Cambridgeshire. They were flying a bombing mission to Bremen, to bomb the Fockerwolf factory there. At a Luftwaffe airbase in Oldenburg in Germany, Franz was with his squadron, waiting for the call to scramble and to be vectored in on American bombers. Franz had now shot down 20 planes. If he could down just three more, he would earn the Knight's Cross, a much-coveted award for men showing exceptional bravery. Was this going to be the day? The lives of Charles and Franz were about to change forever. They were about to meet. On the approach and on leaving the target after dropping their bombs, ye old pub had been damaged severely. It had been hit by anti-aircraft fire, flak, and attacked by up to 15 German fighters. The whole tail section was shot to pieces. The nose cone was missing. The electrical, hydraulic and oxygen systems were damaged. The radio was out. Parts of the bomber trailed out of the gaping holes that were everywhere on the plane as the slipstream blew through the aircraft. This flying wreck showed just how tough the B-17 bombers were. Inevitably, the rest of the bombing force left Ye Old Pub behind, which pretty much made it dead meat for the German fighters. There was no way this plane was going to get back to base. What should have been the last straw finally happened. Charlie, suffering severe loss of blood, pain and lack of oxygen at the high altitude the bomber was still at, lost consciousness. The bomber tipped over into a downward spiral on its last plunge to death. The fighters nearby obviously thought so too, and they headed for home. Charlie came to just in time and somehow pulled up the bomber, about 75 metres from the ground. He was 400 kilometres from home. He was going to need to get some more altitude. He struggled to get the plane higher, but 300 metres was all ye old pub would give him. Charlie turned his plane west towards England. The plane had a crew of ten. Charlie was in the cockpit, alone. One man was dead, the tail gunner. Six were wounded. 
The other two, Charlie's co-pilot, Pinky, and one of his waist gunners were still alive and uninjured, and they were tending to the wounded. It seemed to Charlie that the two men who weren't wounded could bail out of the plane and survive. Some of the less severely wounded probably could too, but the others definitely couldn't. He had to try to make it back to England for the badly wounded to have any chance of survival. He told his co-pilot to float the idea with the men that some should bail out now. Soon Charlie's co-pilot, Pinky, came back and said, We're staying. The guys all decided, You're going to need some help to fly this girl home. France had already been flying that day, attacking the American bombers that Charlie had been a part of. He'd shot down two of them. He needed just one more to win the Knight's Cross. His fighter was being refuelled and rearmed back at base, when a hell of a noise could be heard in the distance. Then he saw it. Charlie's B-17 American bomber. Too tempting a target. Franz signalled to his ground crew to make his plane ready for immediate takeoff. He was going to hunt down and kill this plane. Knight's Cross, here I come. Not long after he took off, he could see Charlie's bomber in the distance. Normally, attacking from behind meant taking the minimal return fire from these B-17 bombers, so Franz now closed in on the bomber's rear. He waited for the telltale flashes from the rear gunner that would let him know that he was being fired on. But nothing. It was a tail gunner on one of these planes that had almost put a bullet into his brain. So cautiously, Franz closed up on the bomber. Finger tightened on the trigger. As he got close enough, lying on the back, he could see the blood-soaked body of the tail gunner. Looking closer, the tail gun section had been blasted from the aircraft. Blood had frozen in droplets on the machine guns that hung limply. Franz now moved his aircraft onto the right side of the bomber, near the cockpit. He saw the massive devastation along the whole length of the plane. Everything, everything had been ripped apart. He saw crew members looking after the wounded. No one was trying to fire at his plane. No one even noticed him. Franz quickly realised that the men in this plane were no different to men dangling from a parachute. He remembered what his commander, Rodel, had told him. His own Christianity kicked in too. Humanity demanded that he let these people go. An even crazier idea entered his head to help them survive if he could. Flying this plane back to England didn't even seem to be an option to him. Charlie and Pinky saw the German ME-109 fighter from the cockpit. He's going to destroy us, Charlie said. Charlie saw the pilot mouthing words at him then making gestures, trying to communicate. What was he on about, thought Charlie. Franz says that he was trying to get them to land the plane in Germany. How it stayed in the air, he had no idea. But Charlie shook his head at that suggestion. Franz then mouthed Switzerland, the nearest neutral place to land safely. Charlie still refused. 
Franz realised that for this stubborn pilot, there was still a lot of Germany to fly over, and then the North Sea to cross before Yelp Pub reached the coast and comparative safety. If a German fighter was with them, Franz thought, the anti-aircraft artillery on the ground, and hopefully other fighters, would not engage them. But that was a hell of a risk for Franz to take in wartime. His own flak was likely to fire on him by accident in any event, and in wartime Nazi Germany, to help an enemy escape was not going to be well received. A story was circulating at the time about a German woman who had told a joke against the Nazi Third Reich. She'd been beheaded by the guillotine. If someone from the ground spotted Francis' plane and wrote down the number on his tail, he would likely have been stood up in front of a firing squad and shot. Meanwhile, back in the cockpit of the B-17, Charlie couldn't take this German fighter being there any longer. He was convinced that Franz would blow them from the skies any minute. Charlie ordered one of his only remaining uninjured gunners to man the upper gun turret. It was one of the few guns on the plane that was still working and to open fire. Charlie took this decision just as they crossed the coast and safety as long as the plane held together. That is, unless this German fighter didn't blow them from the skies. But just then, Franz saluted Charlie and broke off, returning to base. Charlie could only stare in disbelief at being saluted by this German pilot. Unbelievably, Charlie reached the English coast. His own airbase was too far away. He landed at the closest base of the 448th Bomb Group near Norfolk in East Anglia. In his debriefing, he told the Air Force intelligence officers what had happened with the German fighter, escorting him safely out of Germany. Now, that wasn't the sort of story that his commanding officers thought should be told, and he was ordered never to speak of it again. Charlie went on to complete 29 missions before the war ended. France, too, lived for the rest of the war, but in fear of being reported and killed for saving this American bomber. As one of the top surviving fighter pilots in early 1945, Franz was assigned to Jagdverband 44, the world's first operational jet fighter squadron. He shot down at least four B-17s while flying the ME-262, and finally won his Knight's Cross before the war ended. After he had passed on shooting Charlie down, the number of kills required before winning the Knight's Cross had been increased, so he had to work harder for it. Well, Charlie was told never to talk about the German who had saved his life and the lives of his crew. But never is a long, long time, and long after the war, Charlie just had to find out who his guardian angel was. After the war, Charlie returned home to West Virginia. He graduated from West Virginia Wesleyan College. He then enlisted again in the U.S. Air Force after a long career, making 72 trips to Laos and another 14 trips to South Vietnam. He retired in 1965, holding the rank of Colonel. He received the Purple Heart Medal. After he retired, he started an energy and environmental research company that designed smokeless diesel engines. The Today Show recognised Charlie as one of the top six American inventors. 
1987, Charlie was named Inventor of the Year by the Palm Beach Society of American Inventors. In 1986, at a meeting of retired combat pilots called The Gathering of the Eagles, Charlie told the story for the first time of his miraculous encounter with a German fighter pilot who saved the lives of his crew and himself. It was a great story, even though no one believed it. They told him that fatigue and stress of combat most likely explained his story. A German fighter pilot performing such an act honourable act in the air war over Europe just wasn't going to happen. Charlie began to doubt himself, but he decided he was going to try to find this mystery man, if that was even possible. Of 28,000 German fighter pilots who served in the war, only 1,400 survived. So what were the chances that Charlie's guy would even have survived the war? In the 1980s, Charlie heard about a magazine for former Luftwaffe pilots called Jagerblatt. He placed an ad in the magazine. Incredibly, friends saw the ad and wrote back in 1990. Getting the letter was just too unexpected and Charlie couldn't wait. He called up the telephone company in the area where Charlie was living. It turned out that France had found living in Germany with this secret about letting an American bomber escape and the fear that the story would get out were too much. He had a Canadian friend and from what he learned about that country, he moved to Vancouver in 1953 with his wife. Franz eventually bought an ME-108 that had been used in the filming of the Battle of Britain. Had it painted in his colours, he then flew it in air shows playing the bad guy. He sold it after 16 years to an Australian. Anyway, back to the story of Charlie finding his saviour. Canada wasn't far from where Charlie lived in West Virginia. After he got the number from the telephone exchange, he gave France a call. He couldn't wait for a reply to any letter that he would have sent. Charlie made sure that the ad kept back some crucial information. Charlie wanted to make sure he had the right man. So now he asked France... Do you remember what was written on the nose of my bomber? French replied, The old pub, and there was a white triangle with a K on your bomber's tail. Why did you let me get away? I saw how much damaged your airplane was. Charlie and France became good friends, catching up with each other twice a year, turn and turn about at their different homes. Charlie had moved to Miami after retiring. Charlie died in 2008. He was buried with full military honours at Woodland Park Cemetery South in Miami. France also died that same year. Both men were devout Christians and their faith saw them through to a good place, even when surrounded by the horrors of war. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in the Danger Zone. 